Please turn with me to Hebrews 5, verse 7. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. I want to welcome you back this evening. Before we begin, I was reminded or asked by Craig to uh, remind you gently to sign up for family camp. The window this year is very small, just about a week, and you have about four days left, including tonight. So if you are planning to go to family camp, uh, be sure to sign up, get your forms, uh, get everything ready to go. I know Craig has to get those applications into Rock Springs early. And that will be a great help to him if you can uh, get your applications in early as well. On Sunday nights, we have been talking about the uh, subject of prayer, which is a deep subject. And we've tried to narrow it because we are on all of Sunday nights in 2015 discussing uh, Jesus training the Twelve. And so we are looking specifically at how Jesus trained the apostles, the disciples, those who he was with, to pray. And so we're kind of narrowing it down to that uh, scope and trying to, and even with that, especially concerning tonight's subject, there is a plethora of material and information uh, I was the, the study for this week's sermon was not hard. There was plenty of scripture. It was the, the editing, which was difficult. That cut a lot of things that you will not hear tonight. And so if you are not in the word every day, you're going to miss many good things that Jesus not only had to say about prayer, but the scripture records of his example. Last week, we discussed the doctrine of prayer, where we just basically went through what Jesus taught about prayer, and we said specifically that he teaches about two major things as he uh, taught the disciples and the apostles about prayer. Specifically, he taught about the nature of God and also about the nature of us. And he said concerning the nature of God that he hears us, that he appreciates boldness, and that he, that he is good, and that he cares for us. And concerning our human nature... Uh, we are to ask. Oftentimes we're too timid in prayer. But on the other balance of that, we need to be humble. We need to have the right attitude and go boldly, but also understanding our, our place uh, in the throne room. And then finally, we need not give up as we pursue praying. And those are the things, uh, if you boil it all down, those six or seven things are what Jesus strived to teach as he prayed. Now this week, we're going to look at Jesus specifically his example that he left, uh, that he looked at, uh, the the scripture records um, how he prayed and sometimes why he prayed. And when when we take all of the scriptures about Jesus and we think about specifically the ones that talk about his prayer life, it is absolutely remarkable the prayer life which Jesus had. Now, this is encouraging because we not only get a master and a teacher, a rabbi, who teaches us about prayer and teaches us about praying, but he actually, through the pages of Scripture and through the verses which we're going to read, 
taught us by example to pray. If anyone has ever uh, done any sort of task, you know it's always easier to be taught by example. My personal illustration is uh, for the past several weeks, I've been replacing pieces of siding on my home. uh, What's on there is masonite siding, and it just doesn't last very long. I've got some spots that were getting pretty bad. And uh, so I knew it needed to be replaced, but I kept putting it off because I didn't know how to do it. And because every time I would talk to people, even people who are very, you know, very handy and, and people who work in construction, every time you say, talk to me about, teach me how to replace a piece of siding, it always starts something like this. Oh, siding. That didn't give me a lot of confidence. So they would kind of go through this long explanation, and the longer they talked, the more frightened I got. And uh, then I looked it up on YouTube, and I kind of looked at some different videos. And if you've never replaced a piece of siding, you understand that the, it's not hard necessarily to place up the new siding. What's hard is to take off the old siding. You have to be very careful as you pry the nails out uh, because you have to remove the piece above the piece that you're trying to replace. And if you don't remove that very carefully, you'll tear that up, and then you've got to replace the piece above that. And eventually you're replacing the whole siding on your house uh, to replace one piece. So you don't want to do that. You want to be very careful. Well, the difficulty is the explanation wasn't good enough. The description of how to do it wasn't good enough. And so I asked my friend Kevin Nash to help me. And so he came over on his day off. God bless Kevin Nash. And he, he took his own time and he showed me, not only explained how to do it, but then he, he said, okay, here's, here's how you do it. And he just took a piece out, pried it up, and showed me how to do it, and then let me do it, and we'd back and forth. And, and that's how I learned. Now, I could, I could probably replace siding. Don't ask me to do it. You can't afford me. Uh, but I can do it now. And this yesterday, I spent most of the day replacing a couple more pieces all by myself without the training wheels. And I did that because... Uh, Not because of the explanation. There's plenty of people willing to explain how to do it, but very few actually willing to go alongside and do it. Now, follow me here. As we're talking about prayer, Jesus certainly taught a lot and explained a lot about prayer, but of more important value was the coming alongside. Uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 1 is kind of where we've been. Um, And this is where the disciples, this is the preceding Luke's recording of the disciples' prayer, the Lord's prayer, some call it. Luke verse, uh, chapter 11, verses 1, <clears throat> verse 1 says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And this is the beauty of a, of a rabbi student relationship it wasn't just the explanation you certainly got a lot of that questions answered teaching doctrines explained and so forth but more importantly you had someone to follow and so jesus gave them an example and he continued not just in luke chapter 11 uh, but in many places to give an example we know that jesus play, prayed probably played to I prayed regularly, privately, publicly. Scripture records that he, he prayed at all times of the day, morning, day, evening, all night long. 
at every part of his ministry, from the beginning when he was baptized, uh, during his ministry, even up right up to the very last moments of his ministry, Jesus was praying. He prayed in many different geographical locations. Um, He would pray uh, outside. He prayed inside. He prayed in towns. Frequently, it seems like he went up on a mountain or out in the wilderness to pray. And we know that he prayed for many different things. Unity, the glory of God, forgiveness, peace, protection, the future. Uh, what inside scripture gives into uh, Jesus' example not only tell, does not just tell us that he prayed often, but that he prayed about substantive matters. These were not just rote things that he kind of just went through the motions. This was a relationship kind of conversation. So for this study tonight, because we have limited time, we're going to focus really on three parts of Jesus' example. Number one, and I think most important, why Jesus prayed. This is probably the number one question we get about Jesus' prayer life. Why did he need to pray? He was God. It doesn't seem kind of pointless for God to pray to himself. So we'll talk about that. Number two, why, uh, who Jesus prayed for and uh, what, uh, who he prayed with. And there's two parts of that on the who side. And, number, and finally, how Jesus prayed. And we're going to look at uh, the methodology that he went with. So let's start, first of all, talking about why Jesus prayed. When we talk about Jesus, of course, we're thinking about Jesus, Lord, Messiah. But the part of Jesus that we must understand is that Jesus was both fully God as well as fully human. Okay? It wasn't half God and half man. He was fully both. In the beginning, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us says John. Now, in theological terms, we call this the incarnation. It is very much a mystery. How does God fully dwell within a human being? What did Jesus' DNA look like? And as a mystery. But we believe it to be true, that Jesus was not just a man, not just a good man, not just a moral teacher, but in fact, God in flesh. So, when Jesus prayed, he had to pray, first of all, as a man. Not first of importance, but just first in the order we're going to discuss it. But Jesus had to pray for many of the same reasons that you and I need to pray. You and I don't have the advantage of, of deity dwelling within us. Well, maybe we do. But not in the same way Jesus did. Jesus had to pray for many of the same reasons. Now, of course, he didn't have to repent of sin. He didn't have to ask for forgiveness of sin. He didn't have to confess sin. But outside of those things, he still had to pray for the things that human beings need to pray for. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, if you're following along. The Hebrew writer there writes this. For we do not have a high priest, Hebrews chapter 4, 15 and 16. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Now let's think about, outside of sin, what are some of the reasons that we 
need to pray or why we pray. Uh, temptation, certainly, as Hebrews 4 alludes to, he was, though he did not fall to sin, he was tempted in every way, just as we are. And I think Jesus approached temptation with prayer. I know he did. Scripture records that three specific times when he was led out into the wilderness to be tempted, Matthew chapter 3. So we know that he was tempted, and we know that he not only dealt with it by responding with the word of God, but certainly we can assume and infer that he would have brought prayer into that spiritual battle. Most of the time, even in churches, when we talk about temptation, we often talk about the physical things we got to do to avoid temptation, right? And those aren't necessarily bad, but we have to remember temptation is a spiritual battle. And so we have to fight the, uh, the, the war, the battle of temptation, spiritually. And this is what we're doing in prayer. We pray for physical needs. Like food, water, money, jobs, health. We pray for spiritual needs like forgiveness and mercy and kindness and love. Uh, We pray for the needs of others. And I know Jesus did this. We pray out of our grief and trouble. And oh, certainly Jesus left us this example. We pray in an attitude of worship which is the beautiful thing to me about how Jesus prayed. Even as a, as a human being, he prayed at a, at a worshipful, worshipful attitude toward his Father. To thank God, to, to forgive his enemies, and to trust in God. Now, strictly speaking on the human side here for a second, the reason Jesus prayed is the picture you're looking at. Because he was trained by his parents. And this was part of uh, the Jewish world. This was the command. Let's turn over, though you know it probably very well. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. It was very much instilled within all Jewish children, even today, to to teach the words of the Pentateuch, the Torah, to teach the commands and the stories of what God had done in the lives of his people. But now, take that just a step further and ask yourself, do you think for a moment that Mary, who Scripture records treasured all of these things in her heart, did not continually remind Jesus of his legacy, of the promises that he had, uh, that she had been given. If you look in Luke chapter 2, we're not going to go verse by verse, but just in that single chapter of Luke chapter 2, Mary has a conversation with an, ang- an angel. An angel, <clears throat> sorry, she wasn't that into geometry. Uh, she, she had a conversation with an angel and then she, she prayed to God. It was the, the, the song 
that she sings there, My Soul Magnifies the Lord. Um, she visited her cousin Elizabeth, who had a similar experience. She was visited by shepherds, reminding him that this was no ordinary baby within her womb. When she went to present Jesus in the temple, uh, she had conversations with the prophetess Anna and Simeon, and both of whom told her, of course, in the process of, of worship, but just as an individual conversation, they were telling her, this child is the one. Now, you tell me that Mary didn't pray about her child and pray for her child and pray with her child and teach that baby boy how to pray. Uh, this might seem very simple, but it is so important, parents, to teach your children to pray. And not just to explain it to them, not just to, for them to hear at church, but to pray with them. Uh, and it's fine to pray at bedtime, fine to pray at dinner time. But do you pray when your children are struggling at school? Do you say, well, let's pray about that? What about when they're uh, having a very difficult time with a friend, friend or a schoolmate or a teacher? Do you pray with them? See, I think, I think there's some examples here um, that we can get from Scripture. Secondly, uh, in addition to being trained by his parents, uh, he was obedient to God's law. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 says, Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Jesus had to learn obedience to the law just as you and I do. As we physical, fleshly human beings learn the ways of God, who is spirit, we learn that the law leads us partly through that process. And, of course, as a Jewish child, he would have learned the law. We talked about prayer being temple-centered, priestly-centered. We know he knew how to pray from being trained by his parents and from being obedient to God's law. And then... Uh, as, of course, he got into ministry, he did it as a human being to set a physical example for his disciples. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, if you'll turn there with me, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, says, Therefore he, speaking of Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Paul would kind of turn that on its head and say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So he not only set a good example, he wasn't just doing it for, you know, to be seen by men, but that was a byproduct of it, and he certainly understood that. John chapter 11, a verse we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around. Jesus sometimes prayed, and not just because he was praying to his father, but also because he was saying for the benefit of those who listen. Those gentlemen who lead public prayer understand this challenge as well. All right, number two, Jesus prayed as deity. Um, this is, uh, tonight we sang the song, I Just Want to Be Where You Are, which to me so beautifully encompasses what prayer should be about. Uh, it is it, it's not just about a formula and, and trying to get it exactly right. It's the idea of I want a conversation with my father. Um, you forgive me. Steve coaches me. I shouldn't use kid illustrations, my kid illustrations all the time. But 
those are what I'm full of. So at this stage of life, um, you know, there are many times when Tyler or Grace want to do what I'm doing. You know, I'm putting on siding. Grace is like, Dad, can I come out? I mean, she's not going to help me in any way. She just wants to be where I am. Well, in, in, as Jesus prayed, it was about maintaining that relationship with his father. Now, John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus said this. He said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. He prayed his deity first to maintain his relationship with his father. But second, to do the will of his father. This is interesting to me. That that Jesus needed that relationship not just as a son needs his father, but he needed that relationship so that he could stay right in line with God's will. Now, follow along with me gently here. Jesus was both God and man, fully God, fully human. And I believe that it was a continual temptation, I mean, just like to some degree that we have, that he battled the flesh versus the spirit. You know, one verse says that they intended to make him king by force. Well, I think that was very tempting to Jesus. I mean, if you were Jesus, you probably could have had a pretty solid kingdom and sorted a lot of stuff out and made earth perfect again, as close as we could get to the garden. But... There comes no redemption or salvation without a sacrifice. You could make the world perfect, but you couldn't bring us back. And so he had to battle his desire of the flesh to be king. I'm not saying that's necessarily his desire, but I think it was a temptation. And the Father's will. We, uh, John chapter 4 records that God is spirit. And of course we're not. And so Jesus, in this in-between, being both deity and flesh, has to continually overcome and push out the flesh. Which is hard to understand. The best way I can explain it is the scene from Forrest Gump. And the scene from Forrest Gump, and he's, he's wearing these leg braces, okay? and he walks funny, you know, and he's hanging around with Jenny. And then one day, the bullies come, and he just takes off. And he starts running. And his legs just break out of those braces, and just he just takes off. And from that day forward, in Forrest's you know accent, I was running. Okay, all right. Not a solid biblical illustration, I understand, but to help us think about it, the flesh is kind of like those braces. It hinders us. It keeps us from running as fast as we ought to. It just it 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 is an obstacle that's continually in the way. We don't run as God designed us to run with the braces on. The braces off is the praying in the Spirit. We just pray more powerfully, more sincerely, more fervently, more regularly uh, than we ever could with the braces on. And so the struggle is overcoming the flesh. This is what Jesus had to do. And finally, he prayed his deity not just to know the Father's will, but to submit to his will. 
And that's, <laughs> that is another story entirely. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, we're going to be in about verse 39. <clears throat> this is in the Mount of Olives, okay? This is the closest we get to understanding the struggle that Jesus faced. But I think we can all relate to it, okay? Luke chapter 22, verse 39 and following. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. Now understand, we always think of this as the most famous moment of Jesus praying. But scripture records he went out there as usual. But this was, oh yeah, okay, we're going to the, to the mountain again to pray. And his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And Being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to his disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Now, that, that always seemed weird to me that Jesus seemed angry at the moment. But look at what happened here. He is trying to overcome his fleshly temptation to not go to the cross. It's what he prays about. Let this cup pass. But not, yet not my will, but your will. Now, what are the disciples doing? Are they overcoming the, the desires of the flesh? No. No, they're falling asleep. I know we usually think desires of the flesh just is like sexual sin, but it's anything. I mean, this, this human body that God gave you to live in is very powerful. And the desires of it can overrule you. And Jesus said, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And they fell asleep. Now, when we fast forward, which we won't tonight, but we'll think about the scene of the cross. Who endured and who did the will of the Father? And who fell away? Who got frightened? Who was said, I don't know the man. The one who fell to the flesh. Jesus, like us, had the continual battle of the flesh versus the spirit. All right. So he prayed as a man, and he prayed as deity. When we talk about who Jesus prayed, uh, he prayed for people, and he prayed with people. Let's break that down. Number one, talking about who do you pray for? Who do you pray for? To be very honest, it's more difficult for me to pray about other people than it is myself. When I pray privately... I pray, and my mind just automatic just goes toward that rut of things that are troubling me or my family, things I'm worried about. And I have to really push out of myself to pray for the needs of others. Now, Jesus certainly prayed for himself. <clears throat> um, John chapter 17, verse 1. I go ahead and turn to John 17 because it's... <laughs> It's got a lot of teaching by example from Jesus on prayer. In John chapter 17, verse 1, 
after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. He prayed for himself. I mean, he had to. I don't, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with praying for yourself. The problem is if you pray only for yourself and not for others. Now, verse 9, Jesus said, <clears throat> John records, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. This, this underscores this idea of intercessory prayer, praying for others. I love this. Think about this is not in the Gospels. But if you go over to Romans chapter 8, verse 34, that verse says, Christ, Jesus, is the one who died. More than that was raised. Now catch this. Who is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Now, Jesus prayed for himself and he prayed for others, including you and I. But he didn't just stop doing that. On earth, at least according to Romans chapter 8. He's interceding for us even today. So he prayed for himself. He prayed for others, uh, certainly his followers. <clears throat> uh, John chapter 14, just turn a few chapters back. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. <clears throat> and I will ask the Father... And he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. He not only prayed for himself and other people, but for his followers. We know that Jesus prayed for individuals. There's a, a, a moment in scripture where Jesus says, Simon... I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Jesus, uh, Matthew records that Jesus in, uh, pr prayed for the little children. Matthew chapter 19, verse 13. It says, Then the little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. Which is a really cool picture. Jesus was intent on prayer for other people and certainly himself. And then, I think lastly, but it bears mentioning, Jesus prayed for his enemies. We know the, the, the prayer well. It was his last one on earth. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. He prayed it from the cross. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And he divided up his clothes by casting lots. It's very interesting to me that Jesus prayed for those who hated him the most because he knew that they needed him the most. So uh, I think there's a lesson or two I could learn from that. Hopefully you might as well. Who did, who did Jesus pray with? Let's talk about that. Um, the short answer is nearly everyone. And I love this. And I, I think that is who his disciples ought to be. And I've, I've said this before. I'll repeat it. I think we ought to cease getting in the practice of saying, I'm going to pray for you, and just stop and say, well, can I pray for you? I know that seems weird and foreign, but why? Um, 
I know I've fallen into the habit of saying, I'll pray for you, and then I just forget. It's not malicious. I, I really do intend to, but the flesh gets in the way. Oh, I think it would be good for us to, to work to pray with everyone and for everyone. He prayed with the crowds. Matthew chapter 14 is the story of Jesus uh, breaking the bread and the loaves to the crowd of 5,000 plus people. And it says he <clears throat> took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks. Hey, think about why Jesus gave thanks. I mean, he was giving thanks for the fish and the loaves. But I think he was also giving thanks for what he was about to do, how he could change the people. We, off, we said before that he prayed with uh, that he prayed for other people. We know he prayed with other people. We also know he prayed with himself. Luke 5.16 says he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Um, I think that was in part because Jesus was a very popular guy, at least up until about the last few days on earth. He was pretty popular, growing in popularity all the time. And he just had to pull away to take time to focus on what was really important, or he'd be distracted. It's interesting to me that the busier Christ's life was, the more he prayed. As we go through the gospel accounts, the busier he gets, the more popular he gets, the more often he's saying to the disciples, you go on, I need to pray. It shows us that Jesus was a centered person. So he prayed with everyone. He prayed with himself. He prayed with the apostles. This is interesting to me. Turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. I know your thumbs are ink-stained by now, but this shows us, again, how powerful of an example Jesus set in prayer. We just look at his life. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. One of those days, Jesus went outside to a mountainside to pray. And we already said that's a pretty regular thing for him to do. And he spent the night praying to God. Next part of the verse. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them and those he designated as apostles. Jesus not only prayed when he was busy, he spent a ton of time praying before the big moments of ministry. Think about the pressure of choosing these 12 And we know, as Steve talked about, the nature of the twelve and and what kind of men they were. He had a lot of work to do and a pretty short time to do it in. And so he he spent all night bathing that process in prayer. And then at the end of his ministry, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 36, Matthew records, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. I think we're getting a picture here that Jesus valued prayer not only as a personal relationship but as an intercessory action, but also something that was crucial and a cornerstone to the ministry. All right, let's finish up with how Jesus prayed. And I think this is the most practical part. But to me, you've got to start with the why and the who. You've got to start with that 
if we can figure out that Jesus prayed for a relationship, if we can figure out he prayed to, to win the battle of the flesh for this, this spirit, it helps us to learn how to pray. I mean, it's interesting to look at the verses. It's interesting to look at Jesus' life and example. But I'm guessing, as all of you came in here tonight, you sort of already knew that Jesus prayed. When we get to the why, then we begin to understand how we can do it ourselves. So let's look at that quickly. Um, Jesus' prayers were, we've seen over the past few weeks, he could do it. Like in track, there's, well, there's like the sprinters, and then there's the 1,600-meter runners. I mean, there's the, the long distance, and there's the, the, they can do it for a very short period of time. There's a third category of people who don't, can't even run at all. I find myself in that one. But the, in thinking about prayer, Jesus did both. You know, when he taught the model prayer, the disciples' prayer, he was teaching a sprinter's prayer. Like, here's the model. Look at this. Think about, you know, holy God. Uh, think about honoring his will. Think about praying for your needs and then do as you ask. Pretty simple. Sprinter's prayer. Uh, then he, then we have other times when he was a marathoner in prayer. I mean, praying all night. Do you know the least popular class typically at family camp? The one where most people sign up to watch the children? Yeah, you know. The praying class. Because it just, how can we do it for that long? How did... How can we can barely stand it for 40, 50 minutes? How did Jesus do it all night? We find in his example both sprinter and marathon. And that tells us that we got to do both. Okay? The verse that tells us, 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing is marathon. Okay? Marathoners don't push as hard as they can all the time. They just have a continual of rhythm and a a pace that they know they can keep up with for the 26.2 miles. And sprinters know that they got to give it everything they got on this one thing. And the race will be over very quickly. we got to do the same. So if you'll think about prayers as, as both a sprinter or a marathoner, and I'm sorry if you're in the third category like me, but maybe we need to hit the track a little more. We need to be able to do both. Jesus had two postures we're going to talk about. First is the posture of his body. Um, and that's the shorter one. I mean, you can look at those verses pretty quickly. We know he prayed on his knees. Luke 22, verse 41 says he withdrew without a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. We know, we know he prayed in a face down or in a prostrate position, uh, just extending himself, going a little farther. Matthew 26, verse 39 uh, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. We know he prayed with open, upturned eyes. Matthew 17, 1, we already read. I'm sorry, John 17, 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. I thought, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen somebody pray like that. I mean, maybe I probably didn't see it because I was closing my eyes. I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily. You know, we pray in a manner of closing our eyes. Certainly fine. Why do we do that? To close out the distractions. That's okay. But there are times, I believe, when we look up to, to our Father and pray, as Jesus did. Nothing wrong with that. Um, so, 
the, the posture of his body, the scriptures don't speak as much about, but we know that he certainly did pray in a number of ways, kneeling down, prostrate, face down, open, upturned eyes. The more important part I want to run through is the posture of his heart, which was a lot of different adjectives, so we're going to move through them. Uh, first, he prayed sincerely. Um, I know there are, uh, I, I have heard people lead public prayers in King James English, which to them is a reverent form of praying. And to me, that's fine if you generally speak in King James English. But praying shouldn't, I mean, how you pray up here or leading a group should be in your natural form. I'm not saying be irreverent, by no means. Be, be reverent, but pray sincerely. Don't just use words that sound holy or spiritual. Pray sincerely. <clears throat> Jesus did this all the time, and, and we understand that he did. Number two, he prayed reverently. Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. There records, Father, I praise you. Father, I praise you, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to, to the little children. He was praising his father um, all the time, worshiping him. You say, that seems kind of odd because he was God. Okay? Here again, he's submitting himself to the father, which leads to our third one. He prayed submissively. We looked at Luke chapter 22 where he said, not my will but yours be done. Jesus certainly had power. He certainly had authority. Philippians chapter 2 tells us he laid that down. And this is how he prayed. You know, he prayed there were certain things that he wanted that were his will that were not the Father's. And when those two came into conflict, what did he, conflict, what did he do? He submitted. He yielded which is how we should pray as well. Uh, number four, he prayed passionately. Luke 22 records that he, being in anguish, prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, that's probably the best example I can find, but there wasn't a time when Jesus didn't pray out of his heart. Um, and I wish I could say I had done that all the time. But we should pray from our heart. We should pray about these things nearest to us. Uh, the teenagers in my previous job, uh, when we would do devotionals and I'd ask the young men do a devotional, and a lot of times if the first or second one, they'd say, what do you want me to talk about? And I'd say, well, I can give you some suggestions, but let me start with think about, take a week and think about, what God has taught you through his word, through a class, through a sermon, what God has taught you or showed you that's most close to your heart. Think about that and, and really get back to me. And a lot of times they do it, and they do a really great diva. Why? Because it's from here. Okay? And they can go through and work out the this, but when God was working here, it more impacted the here. And I think that's true with how we pray. When we pray more earnestly, sincerely, it's why we talk about repetition. All right. Um, he prayed persistently. Matthew chapter 26, verse 44. says, He left them and went away and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. And that jumped out to me. I didn't realize that Jesus 
had prayed a repetitious prayer. It wasn't because he was just saying the words. I mean, he was sincere. He was practicing the widow knocking on the door, just wearing the judge out. Now, Jesus did, I mean, God, of course, answered differently than he wanted, but Jesus was persistent, which reminds us that we should be as well. And finally, we finish up with Hebrews 5, 7, which is the verse that Tyler read for us, during, uh, that he prayed fervently. Hebrews 5, 7, turn there with me for the last one, tells us that he, <clears throat> lost it there. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because, wasn't because of his passion, his sincerity, his regularity of praying, his, uh, all of the things we talked about. He was heard because of his reverent submission. And this is the, the best example I think we can learn from Jesus and how we then ought to pray. A, an attitude of reverent submission. Holding God in utmost holiness and esteem and willing to yield our will to his. That is the essence of prayer and the essence of godly prayer and the example that Jesus left. So uh, I hope that you'll enjoy, uh, that you are enjoying this series. We'll continue next week uh, talking about uh, the decided prayer and then the disciplined prayer and how we uh, more get into the practical parts of what Jesus taught and how we then can approach it, prayer in our lives. So um, if you tonight, we've been talking a lot about Jesus, but if you don't know Jesus, uh, tonight would be a wonderful opportunity to begin that relationship. And so I want to encourage you that if you'd like to know more about him, we can help you with that. If you'd like to put him on in baptism to prepare, Profess his lordship in your life to reverently submit to his will above your own. We'd be more than happy to make that happen. Or if you simply need the prayers of his followers, we'd love to intercede on your behalf. If you have any need, please come as we stand and sing.